Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint seeking to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that you will allow me to join in your gospel dialogue. With that introduction, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 24. Following along with that, that which cometh from above is sacred. Doctrine and Covenants, section 63. And I'd like to apologize for how late this is. Just no excuse. No excuse. Um, but here's my excuse. <laughs> I, got, I got sick over the weekend. Uh, really sick, actually. And I slept about, I don't know, 15, 16 hours or so to recover. And by the time I recovered, it was, it was Monday. Monday was upon us. So that's what happened. And, and then, you know, uh, Magnolia turned two. She's now two. Turned two on Monday. Happy birthday to her. And, uh, her, the birthday plans obviously took up uh, quite a bit of time. And then life, just life, you know, you just cannot, there's no time to get sick. There's just no time to get sick. So I do apologize and have already set the plan to, to make sure we're back on a Monday at 9am posting. Cause I do like that, that schedule. It just helps me to be able to stay consistent with the week. And then I'm not getting behind and in my studies even either for, for come follow me. Um, other than getting sick, it was a great weekend. I was able to teach Sunday school, uh, in person, which just an amazing feeling. I got to say, I hated teaching over zoom and I only had to do it once. So my hat's off. If you had to teach Sunday school or teach in any capacity over zoom, um, you are a true hero because I did not enjoy the experience at all. And being able to teach in person, there's just something, just being in person, interacting in person is, I mean, I'll never take it for granted. At least I hope I'll never take it for granted. Being able to feed off energy in person, uh, there's no lag period. There's no uh, faces getting frozen or, or responses cutting out or anything like that. And you also get to see kind of, the, I'm, I, I, okay, the way I interpret information is uh, I'm really good at interpreting body language and the unspoken meaning behind uh, communication more than just what people are saying or even the how people are saying it. Um, I've always been good when it comes to the uh, interpreting what people are saying on, on a deeper level. And uh, it is really hard to do virtually. So I feel like my, my abilities to be able to relate to people and interact with people have suffered tremendously through COVID protocols because I can't even use my God-given gifts. Um, also, you can just, you know, turn off your camera. <laughs> you can mute yourself whenever. And obviously that in itself, with or without gifts, makes it near impossible to connect with people. So it was fantastic to be able to meet with the youth and get to know them. Now I'm actually able to put like names to faces and, or faces to names rather. 
And it was a really good lesson. I uh, just want to bear my testimony that youth are, are more capable than I think as adults we think they are. But I actually know that. I know that for sure. I, with this lesson that I did on Sunday, I wanted to set the stage where we didn't focus specifically just on the Come Follow Me lesson, but but as we're transitioning to in-person, as that's going to be our norm and our regular, I wanted to make it where we set the foundation and set expectations. So I asked them, I said, what are your expectations for our Sunday school class? When, when you come, what is it you want to be getting out? And it wasn't just, uh, and it's funny because I used an example to help them out. And of course, <laughs> I said treats. Like, do you expect treats every time? that sort of thing. And then immediately they were like, yes, we do expect treats. And I was like, okay, but that's not what I meant. What I meant was, but I did set myself up for that one. But no, then they took it further, right? Um, These are like 12 to 16 year olds. And they said things like, we want to be able to feel the spirit every week. We expect to be able to feel that. And I completely agree. That should be an expectation we should all have going to church. Otherwise, why are we going? And too often, I actually do think that we end up getting into a pattern of going to church, forgetting that we should be expecting to feel the Spirit, that that does require a level of preparation on our own part, and then we fail to do so. We don't um, we don't feed our spirits or, or feel a strong portion of the Spirit. We go home, and, and that's it. We go about our week, and we rob ourselves. So I loved that they said they expect to feel the Spirit, every, uh, well, every other week. In, in, in Sunday school class. They also said things like they expect to be engaged and how they don't want to be talked at. And I love that because I don't want to be talking at them every week. So I flipped the tables on them and I said, okay, I love it. Now, you know, if you expect this to be engaged, can I expect you to help me by participating? And they said, yes, they agreed. And they said, and I said, okay, now, Sometimes there can be a lag where I'll ask a question and no one answers. Would you like me just to call on names if no one answers? And they said no, because we've all been in that point where a teacher calls on us and we're listening, but then all of a sudden we're called on and we freeze. And I'm not the one that put that into the words. They did. They said they said exactly what I just said. And they were like, you know, I'm, I could be listening and I have an answer, but then you call on me and then it's gone. And I feel like... I'm dumb, so I'd, I'd prefer that you not just call on me. And I was like, that's absolutely fair, 100%. But then what do I do if no one's responding? And they said, you know, they, they started kind of brainstorming ideas, and they said, well, what if you call on three people and have at least one of the three? And I was like, okay, but then if, if none of the three answer, and they were like, well, <laughs> then I guess we're stuck, right? And I was like, okay, what if, what if we're able to uh, arrange ahead of time certain parts of the lesson that you're able to engage with specifically. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that could work. And then I said, and what if instead of me having to answer everybody's questions or me having to ask all the questions, what if some of you guys start kicking it around and you talk amongst yourselves and we're all having a conversation together? And they've said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, um, I'm just going to be honest. I am not the fondest of teenagers. I've never been the fondest of teenagers. When I was a teenager, I wasn't the fondest of my own age bracket. And because I was born a 75 year old man. Okay. I don't, I don't know why I just, when other teenagers, when other teenagers were getting into trouble, I was, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. (laughs) 
I was doing stuff like hanging out in the car with my friends, blasting the Tabernacle Choir CD that my grandparents had given me. And that was a blast. And I love that memory. That or I was playing video games, trying to level up my guns or something like that. And uh, so often I do struggle relating. But as I was sitting there in that Sunday class and giving them the respect that they deserve as growing human beings, I was about to say competent, I won't give them that much credit, but as growing human beings, they impressed me, which taught me an important lesson that I want to share right now. It's why I've given such a, a lead up to it, which is we are all, this is the obvious statement, but an important one, we are all children of our Heavenly Father. We are eternal beings before this life. There was no age uh, assigned to us because that didn't really matter. I mean, I'm supposed to be potentially calculated our age at, at, what, at what point we were organized into our spiritual bodies. But otherwise, we are a spiritual uh, and eternal essence. Uh, our spirits are. And so even though in this mortal life, in this mortal journey, we have ages and developmental periods and stages, to remember that we do, we all are eternally old. And so give ourselves a little bit more credit and also expect great things of our young people. Um, we have to, or else we will damn their progression by not, by not doing that. And I know I expect great things of my own children, even now at three and two, I expect great things. As a parent, the greatest thing you could do for your child I'm saying this as if I have all the experience in the world. But as a child myself of great parents, the greatest thing you can ever do for your child is show them the respect and the trust and faith that uh, that you believe that they can achieve the things that Heavenly Father has planned for them. That was the lesson I learned this week. Probably more important than anything I could share from Come Follow Me, but we are going to get into the lesson, so let's do it. The site for the city of Zion has been chosen. Church leaders had visited the area and dedicated it as a gathering place for the saints. According to Joseph Smith's history, the land of Zion was now the most important temporal object in view. But views on Zion were mixed. Many saints were eager to start gathering in Missouri. On the other hand, people like Ezra Booth were disappointed with the land of Zion and made their views known. In fact, when Joseph returned to Kirtland from Missouri, he found that dissension and apostasy had crept into the church while he was away. It was in this setting that the Revelation and Doctrine and Covenants section 63 was received. Here, the Lord addressed purchasing land and moving the saints to Missouri. But among such practical matters was a timely reminder, I, the Lord, utter my voice, and it shall be obeyed. His voice, his will, his command, all of which come from above, should not be treated cynically or casually. It is sacred and must be spoken with care. And I'm a jovial and good-natured person. Good-natured person. I've always been that way. Uh, as I mean, as long as I can remember, I've always been that way. And I love this last this last note about uh, that God's voice and His word needs to be treated. It should not be treated cynically or casually. And for me, specifically casually, it is sacred. And must be spoken of with care because sometimes, uh, as a jovial, good-natured person, I have found that I can treat the sacred with uh, not the level of respect it deserves. Now, 
I do think there's that tendency also, and you have to know yourself. If you are like me, if you're a jovial, good-natured person, I can guarantee then that you struggle with the same thing I do. Most most people with that temperament do. And so I would recommend treating things of a sacred nature and things uh, of God with, with more kind of respect and dignity and care. But if you are on the uh, more stern, serious side of a personality trait, I have found there is a, a typical tendency to maybe treat things, um, this is not the right way to say it. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Like too, too much with uh, sacred things, if, too, with too much respect, if that's even possible. That's why I said I'm not saying this right. But uh, with, with such a sternness that it leaves no room for joy in the gospel, almost like, like a... Um, I hate to do this, but but like a Catholic, a stereotypical Catholic sense of things where, you know, there can be no joy found in the gospel, which obviously is not true. And, uh, and I mean, no offense to my Catholic friends, but there is that stereotype. And so like that, um, and if, if you're that personality type, recognize that there is many areas, if not a ton of areas in the gospel that do bring joy and there, there can be a little bit more light-natured. Joseph Smith himself was always characterized, and he himself also said this about himself. How many times can I say himself in a sentence? That he was a jovial and good-natured young man, and that, uh, you know, he felt that sometimes he's, he didn't treat things, especially in the early, uh, you know, from the 14 to, to 20s, with enough respect that it deserved, and that was lessons that he had to be taught. And so we're all trying to become more balanced individuals and recognize where you fit on the the, uh, spectrum of personality to be able to to recognize the the areas for improvement and growth. In the first section, the Lord's anger is kindled against the wicked and rebellious. Uh, When this revelation was received, Joseph Smith was facing harsh criticism from several members of the church who had turned against him. And it says to see both uh, Ezra Booth and Isaac Morley. What warnings did the Lord give in Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, regarding the wicked and rebellious? How are such warnings evidence of God's love? It is interesting, if you didn't check that up in the Revelations in context about Ezra Booth and Isaac Morley, two who had criticisms for Joseph Smith, two different responses. Ezra Booth continued to be a um, an opponent of the church, whereas Isaac Morley did repent. And was a saint the rest of his life and, and lived his days out with the saints in Utah, which is pretty cool. Two scriptures, though, that stick out to me. One was in verse 3. Who willeth to take on, take even them whom he will take, and preserveth in life them who he will preserve. Again, and this is talking about God uh, and, and his characterization. But who willeth to take even them whom he will take, and preserveth in life them who we, he will preserve. Our lives are in God's hands, so so we need to relax. Um, if you're the type of person who stresses over everything, just anything, if, you, if you're always stressing and, and feeling like you need to be in control, there is a genuine peace that I have found in having the faith that God is in complete control. And our actions do affect our lives. Our actions have implications for our lives as well as our livelihood. 
the way you take care of your body, for instance, will have an impact. It will have consequences, and we do have to live with the consequences. But ultimately, God is still in charge of our lives. We will go or stay uh, based on off his timetable. And so ultimately, just relax. And I promise you don't need to have that stress on your shoulders of worrying about how many days you've got. He has those numbered, and I find great peace in that. And then in verse 5, Behold, I, the Lord, utter my voice, and it shall be obeyed. That is power. The fact that he speaks and he will be obeyed. That is true power. That is the type of power that uh, we can attain to by following the commandments, learning from God, and learning how to obtain godlyhood or godliness. And I think that's, uh, that's pretty darn cool, if I do say so myself. In the next section, uh, signs come by faith and the will of God. And there's three verses that I really like. One was in verse 9. But behold, faith cometh not by signs, but by but signs follow those that believe. This isn't really important. It's We should not be seeking for signs. We should be seeking to believe, though. And if we're seeking to believe, then signs will follow us. And then in verse 11, Yea, signs come by faith unto mighty works, for without faith no man pleaseth God. And with whom God is angry, he is not well pleased. Wherefore, unto such he showeth no signs, only in wrath unto their condemnation. Uh, we should ha- we should be seeking faith to be before- be able to perform mighty works, and I do also love this obvious line that uh, it says, "And with whom God is angry, He is not well pleased." I just <laughs> I just love that. I feel like it's kind of an obvious uh, statement, but yeah, that's the to me what I love here is just that signs come by faith unto mighty works. Without faith, we can't please God. So be seeking for faith, not for science, again. And then in verse 12, Wherefore I, the Lord, am not pleased with those among you who have sought after signs and wonders for faith, and not for the good of men unto my glory. So this is the key, that we need to be seeking to help others. That is good in God's sight. By seeking to help others and doing so through our faith, that's good. By seeking for signs to confirm our own faith or to have those selfish desired answered, not good. In the third section, chastity means keeping my thoughts and actions pure. There's a bunch of verses, and then I have a important thought I'd like to share, but we're going to go from 16 to 20. And verily I say unto you, as I have said before, he that looketh on a woman to lust after her, or if any shall commit adultery in their hearts, they shall not have the spirit, but shall deny the faith and shall fear. Wherefore I, the Lord, have said that the fearful and the unbelieving and all liars, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, and the whoremonger and the sorcerer, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verily I say that they shall not have part in the first resurrection. And now, behold, I, the Lord, say unto you that ye are not justified because these things are among you. That is a huge buildup. Also, in many ways, I feel like that covers almost all of us as far as in the sinner camp. Uh, First, he talks about lusting and adultery and 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 all of that, but then he goes on in 17 to talk about that the fearful, the unbelieving, the liars, uh, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, and the whoremonger and the sorcerer, like all of that. I mean, who doesn't that cover in the camp of sin? So we all stand in danger of fire and brimstone. We all stand in danger. It's a pretty level playing field there. And then in verse 20, Nevertheless, he that endureth in faith and doeth my will, 
the same shall overcome and shall receive an inheritance upon the earth when the day of transfiguration shall come. This is the grace. This is the plan. He that endureth in faith and doeth my will. That's what we need to do. That is what sets us apart from everyone else. So we're all in the level playing field where we all sin. We're all in danger of hellfire. And then where what, what we can do to be setting ourselves apart is to endure in faith and do with God's will. Those are the same that shall overcome. And, and this is where I go back to all the time is that I get so um, nervous for myself and when I'm observing it in others is that enduring part where we stop enduring. We have faith. We have spurts of faith throughout our life. We have these moments where we're, we're so strong and we're doing so good and we're on the path and we're holding to the rod and then we stop enduring and we quit. And I've seen so many people who just give up the race. They give up the fight and they're just like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm like, a greater measure of faith comes every time we endure further. God keeps testing our faith and we're supposed to be going through this purification process and then don't give up along the way, especially because of all you've gone through already, you're going to quit now. Yeah, of course it gets harder moving forward, but like don't give up on everything you've already done to this point because then it would all be for naught. And so I love verse 20. It's kind of that 16 to 19 is the buildup and 20 is where the blessings are promised. Then in 21, when the earth shall be transfigured, even according to the pattern which was shown unto mine apostles unto the mount, of which account the fullness ye have not yet received. My question is, what is this full account? What is it? And then in verse 23, and one second. <coughs> Excuse me. But unto him that keepeth my commandments, I will give the mysteries of my kingdom. And the same shall be in him a well of living water springing up unto everlasting life. We keep the commandments, we receive the mysteries, and I want the mysteries. So if you are seeking that further revelation, seek to be keeping the commandments in full. That is the key. There's no greater mystery here, and I feel like people continuously seek after, like, there's got to be another answer. There's, there's not. Keep the commandments and live a pure life, and I promise that as we do this, we will gain greater blessings and greater keys to the mysteries to be taught further and further and faster and faster. And Satan would do everything to impede us. First thing I feel like Satan does is just to like distract us. If he can just distract us from seeking to, to better ourselves and seek after these mysteries, if he can distract you from not reading your scriptures, I wake up and I swear I, I have this uh, commitment every morning to start my day by saying my prayers and reading my scriptures. Every morning, it's like an easy temptation because I get these dumb notifications of... Uh, political news, social media feed, or t even just text messages. And I'm like, oh, I should probably check these. And it throws me off my whole game when I do that. And then I'll get distracted and then I'll lose time. And it'll be, you know, 30 minutes later. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I need to get ready for my day. You know, and I've just lost all that beautiful time of being able to talk with God and learn from him through the scriptures. And so just right there, that's the first attack. Right when I wake up, Satan's already making attacks to my day. And I hate to say it, but he wins certain days. Certain days he does distract me and I don't get a good study or a study at all. And then I go through my day and I'm coming home and I have my responsibilities at home. And then it's nighttime and I lay down for bed and I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't read my scriptures today. That's why my whole day was off. And it does. It throws my whole day off. It just doesn't feel as successful as it should have been. And so... 
when you wake up, do not let Satan throw the, those distractions. Overcome every single day and be so committed uh, to gaining the Spirit, to be, wor- be worthy of His companionship that, you know, it sets you up for success that entire day and, and take everything a day at a time. And then now in the fourth section. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm ready. All right, the fourth section. The Lord directs the spiritual and temporal affairs of his saints. After the Lord had identified where Zion would be built, the saints in Ohio still need a direction about when to begin moving and where to get money to buy the land. As you read Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, look for the spiritual and temporal direction the Lord gave concerning Zion. What spiritual and temporal direction is the Lord giving you? Okay, so a couple of verses. <clears throat> First and 26. Nevertheless, I, the Lord, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. It is a commandment to pay taxes. And so I, that's how I'm interpreting it. And I'm not the biggest fan of taxes. In fact, if you had talked to me only three weeks ago, you would have heard my whole rant about how I did not enjoy the amount of ta- taxes we ended up paying this year. Uh, but, sorry, back to the spiritual. Got distracted for a second. Uh, so it's a commandment to pay taxes and to live under the law and obey the laws of the land, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. But I also take that, that if it's a commandment, then we can count on God to help us fulfill that commandment. And so if you, like me, got worried about taxes owed or taxes owed in the future or whatever it be, you can count on God's help to be able to do that. And I know I've seen miracles in other people's lives when it comes to this, and I've seen it in my own life. And so always remember, if there's a commandment, then God always provides a way for us to be able to fulfill it. And then verse 33 says, I have sworn in my wrath and decreed wars upon the face of the earth, and the wicked shall slay the wicked and fear shall come upon every man. I feel like this is the foretelling of the civil war uh, that would come, you know. There were decreed wars, and obviously a lot of lives were shed, a lot of lives were lost, and blood was shed in the civil war, and I feel like this was probably a foretelling of what was to come, at least in that. And and of course, in in more things, I'm not just going to link it to this, just that, but uh, that's something I did take away from that. And then in 44... Behold, these things are in his own hands. Let him do according to his wisdom. I love the agency included in this commandment. Things are in his own hands. Let him do according to his wisdom. And uh, this is talking about Newell K. Whitney. And and for his store, God trusts us uh, to be able to make our own decisions. We are expected that through the revelation we are given and through the commandments we're given to be able to do the best to our abilities and with the wisdom that we have to move forward. If you feel like you don't know enough, just remember that God trusts you and that should be enough. For me, when I'm stressing out, when I feel like I'm overwhelmed or I can't accomplish all the things that lie before me, I have to step back and, re- and recognize that if God believes in me, then I really don't have any reason I shouldn't believe in myself and just move forward and have the faith knowing that whether I succeed or fail, he is always there to pick up the pieces, and that's the most important thing. That is how I never allow fear or anxiety to stop me. 
I have failed many times in my life. I will fail many more times in my life. Probably, I will probably fail more times moving forward than I have already failed in my life up to this point. And I think where a lot of people that would cause them great fear and anxiety, and it's definitely caused me fear and anxiety in my life, I have gotten to the point, at least I hope, I'd like to think I've gotten to the point. I hope I've gotten to the point where I will never allow that to stop me from moving forward again. Because I have seen time and time again, and it's been proven to me time and time and again, that God is always there to pick up the pieces when we are giving our truest and honest efforts. You are good enough, but you will never, you will never see the fulfillment of that if you quit or give up or do not keep moving forward. And you will be halted in your progress for as long as you want to be halted until you're willing to continue making those steps. God is always there, and he's always willing to move forward with you, uh, but he cannot drive a parked car. You have to be able to, to trust him and his his steering and uh, put your feet, put your foot, I should say, on the accelerator and, uh, and get going, even if it's to failure, because there are excellent and great lessons to be learned in failure. And like I said... I never could have predicted where my life has ended up now, and I have no idea where it'll end up in the future, and I can live with that. So don't allow yourself to be held back by that type, by that anxiety, especially. In the family scripture study, there's one part in particular I liked. It was uh, that last one, section 60, or uh, yeah, section 63, verses 58 to 64. The two verses in that that stuck out. I'll read the activity first, though. Show your family a precious family treasure. How do we treat this item differently than other things that aren't as valuable? What does DNC 63 teach us about what we can do to reverent to rever, uh, reverence well, sacred things? In verse 61, Wherefore, let all men beware how they take my name in their lips. We've been warned. And in verse 64, Remember that that which cometh from above is sacred and must be spoken with care and by constraint of the Spirit. And in this, there is no condemnation. And you receive the Spirit through prayer. Wherefore, with this, there remaineth condemnation. Um, We need to treat sacred things with care. It's a commandment, something we need to work on, something we need to practice. And I know I continually need to practice this as i said from the beginning so let's make sure to do that uh i love the example of what is something sacred in your family and how do you treat it different same thing should be said with sacred things like uh, a couple of examples temple ordinances obviously should be treated with a deep level of sacredness um our just our you know you know the way we treat the sacrament every week most important ordinance we uh, we what's the word I'm looking for we do we practice we exercise we participate in there we go every week uh, how how do we treat the sacrament do we treat it with a sacred nature I actually asked that in my lesson this last Sunday <clears throat> I asked the youth what were they thinking about when the sacrament was being passed and one of the deacons was super honest and I loved it he was like I just kept thinking, which road did I miss? <laughs> I get that. I feel that. I remember being there. And I, I asked them, I was like, you know, that's an excellent point. 
right? Especially for those passing the sacrament. Uh, you've got a lot to think about, more than just me who's sitting there. And I told them, I, I was honest with them. I was like, you know what? This Sunday, I was thinking about trying not to kill my children for taking the crayons and trying to write all over the chairs. And I was like, you know, it, it distracted from that sacred ordinance. So I said, what can we do to treat that more sacred next week? And I said, for me, I'm go not going to give my kids crayons before the ordinance uh, comes. I was like, I'm, I'm going to try and make sure that they have nothing that could potentially post a, uh, be a danger or distraction for them or for myself, and then really focus on doing what I'm supposed to do and be pondering the infinite sacrifice of our Savior. And, and I, I turned it back to them, and I was like, what about you? And they gave some suggestions, and that same deacon who had said, you know, that he said, I think if I was more prepared with what my route is, it would help me to not have to be thinking about that. I would just know what to do. And I was like, that is an excellent thing to be trying, to be more prepared. I was like, that's actually a great principle we could all be doing, which is to be more prepared. So <clears throat> I will conclude with what I love here in this Improving Personal Study. It says, live what you are learning. As you feel the joy that comes from understanding the gospel, you want to apply what you learn. Strive to live in harmony with your understanding. Doing so will strengthen your faith, knowledge, and testimony. If, if your life is not being changed through the study of Come Follow Me, through the study of the scriptures, then it is an excellent time to reflect on why. And I've been doing that this week. How is my life being changed? And I have noticed, I've noticed a big difference since studying and and really trying to get rid of those morning distractions like I was talking about, because my morning time is the time that I, uh, I set the precedence for my day. It's in the morning that I ultimately decide what level uh, of spiritual attainment I would like to achieve and just how much I want the Holy Ghost to be my companion throughout the day. And I always know <clears throat> how good that day is going to be based off of my preparation with uh, seeking to have him as my companion. So through Come Follow Me I, and uh, through practicing that and being really aware, I can say I've made both in incredible strides in improving, but I also have a tremendous way to go and would love to be able to report back by the end of the year that I figured it out. But I guess that's probably the story of life. Thank you for joining me in this family room discussion. What ideas, questions, or insights did you have from Doctrine and Covenant, section 63? Until we meet again, have a blessed week.